You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 982 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. Today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Find the Locker Room app from the iOS app store. Find the one of the Locked on Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's podcast will focus on what became a 44-point loss for the Hawks, the largest margin of defeat this season by a wide margin for Atlanta. Also, their season low in points. For the second straight game, they set a mark at 86 points. On Monday, scored 83 points tonight. Uh, just kind of a nightmare night all the way around for the Hawks. The title of this podcast tells a story. Basically an impossible spot for the Hawks on paper. Could they have lost by less than this? Sure. But they were never going to win this game um, with their available roster against Philly at basically full strength. So that's the top line here. The Hawks go in sort of shorthanded is not even doing it justice. They basically didn't have a functional roster for part of this game. And then uh, Philadelphia played reasonably well. And that is how you end up with a 44-point loss. So... Before we dive into the game itself, we'll talk talk about the situation a little bit more here at the top. I mentioned this last night on the podcast with Jackson Frank, but this is pretty much the exact inverse of the first meeting back in January when the Hawks had a blowout win over Philly and Atlanta. Um, Philly had Embiid in that game and basically nobody else. They had um, eight guys available. They were uh, sort of... I would say decimated by COVID protocols at, at that point in time, just kind of a shorthanded roster, and uh, and that's and that and that spot Philly just was not really competitive, even with Embiid. In this spot, the Hawks had Collins and Capella and Gallinari, but perimeter-wise, uh, the Hawks are missing six of their top seven perimeter players. I'll say that one more time: the Hawks are missing their best player, and Trey Young, of course, but six of their top seven perimeter players from the preseason were unavailable in this game, and that is basically untenable. Honestly, it was almost worse as we'll get into in a second here, Brandon Goodwin ended up playing in this game, which is uh, honestly pretty shocking to me. He was carted off the court on Monday in a wheelchair after suffering a ankle impingement, and he was listed as questionable, so it wasn't a total surprise, but the Hawks were almost in even worse shape rotationally in this spot without Goodwin, but he ended up playing, so they actually had 11 guys available and at least a handful of perimeter players, but um, that didn't obviously change the course of the game as it was. He ended up starting alongside Lou Williams. It was a 21st different starting lineup for the Hawks this season. That's a lot for a playoff team, especially. Um, Bogdanovich missed this game as well. He was sort of the surprise addition on Wednesday afternoon to the injury report. He was added midday as questionable with left hamstring soreness, then ruled out before the game. Um, Kevin Herter was listed as doubtful. Then he was ruled out as well. And there's been some drama around Herter here. First for the game, this is his first missed game of the season. He's, he was the only player on the roster that appeared in the first 62 games before the Hawks. Solomon Hill has not been injured all year, but he actually missed a game because it was of a DNPCD. So Herter is now, uh, I guess he's still tied for the lead in games play with Hill, but now no one on the, on the Hawks roster has played in every game this season. Then the Hawks um, let some of the media know, including myself, that they are still awaiting a second opinion on Kevin Herter's shoulder. That's a little bit ominous sounding. I'm not going to sort of inject my opinion here. I, I don't know what's going what's gonna to happen with Herter, but as of this recording late into the night here on Wednesday, we do not know about Kevin Herter, which is a little bit strange. No question about that. This is a much longer timeline than you normally would have from an MRI that happened on Tuesday afternoon until we get some results here. So, um, that's at least partially explained by, by the second opinion being gotten from the Hawks, but uh, at the same time, that probably isn't 
the best possible news. I have no idea, honestly, still. But uh, we'll, we'll sort of put a, put a pin in that for now. He was, he was also as doubtful in this game. Not ruled out all the way until the end. But um, we'll come back to Kevin Herter later in the week. And by the way, as always, you can get some more real-time stuff from me on Twitter at BT Roland as I have it. I promise I will share that information with you. Elsewhere in the injury report. This is very long. I know I know that, but it was probably the top story of the game. Um, fourth rate game for Trey Young in this spot missing. But um, there was some optimistic news. From McMillan on Trey, he said he's been feeling better, and he did some shooting on Wednesday. It would not stun me if he played on Friday. I'm not going to tell you that he's going to for sure, but it would not surprise me all that much if he were to get out there on Friday, so we'll come back to that later on. Tony Snell misses his ninth game in a row with an ankle injury, and then, of course, Hunter Reddish stayed out of action as well. As I said, it's worth reemphasizing this one more time. The Hawks were playing without six of their top seven perimeter players, and by the way, the seventh guy is Lou Williams, who wasn't on the roster at the beginning of the season, so... Uh, What's that? What's just a, uh, I think decimated is the, was the correct word. Maybe untenable is the other word that you could use. And also, on top of everything else, this is the sixth game in nine days for the Hawks, so they were also probably fatigued on some level with some travel and all that stuff. So a perfect storm, and uh, the results were as follows. So um, one more thing before we get to a break. Our friends at BattleLine.ag um, actually made the Hawks, um, quote-unquote, only a 9.5-point underdog in this game. Obviously, they did not come close to covering that number throughout these spots. So... It opened up in the eight, in the eight point range. Then when Madonna was out, it went up to nine nine and a half. I would have certainly leaned towards Philly even before the game started. And then obviously this was not competitive. So at least wanted to, I always like to tell you guys what the point spread is. Sort of set expectations out a little bit here, and uh, that's where it was before the game started. Okay, before we get to the game itself and the back and forth and the game flow, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, and the first of which is RockAuto.com. One key reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money. You can use for other important things like paying the mortgage or paying for food or whatever else you want to use it for. And honestly, why would you want to pay more money for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership when you instead can use rockauto.com? rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and they're always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why spend twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. When you get there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Okay, so obviously this is going to be pretty ugly and uh, not the longest podcast that I will ever do because there's not all that much to say about it. But I'll go through the game flow as always on the show. Um, the Hawks never led in this game. Uh, it was more competitive in the first few minutes than it was for large portions of the game. Um, defensively, they actually went with Collins on Ben Simmons to start with and Solomon Hill on Tobias Harris, which is what I would have done as well. They uh, hid Lou Williams and Danny Green and Goodwin on Seth Curry. But the Hawks just didn't, ha- didn't have it offensively at any point. They were 1 of 7 from the, from the floor out of the gate with a turnover down 9 to 3, only one field goal in the first four minutes. There was one nice block by Click Appella. He actually blocked Embiid on a jump hook, which, is, which doesn't happen with Embiid. He doesn't get that, sh- that shot blocked very often, so Capella had a nice little flash there. But other than that, it was 23 to 9. Sixers after about eight minutes. The Hawks were three of 11 from the floor with four turnovers, and, and transition defense was a problem in the first quarter. Obviously, offense was the bigger issue on the whole in this game, but defensively, there were some pretty bad moments, and especially in that opening quarter in terms of you know Ben Simmons running the ball, running the ball down their throats, etc. Um, 
Rotationally, it was Gallinari and Dunn as the first subs, um, followed by Mays and Okongwu later on. McMillan did not give uh, any indication on Dunn's minutes restriction in this game, although he did say that he was going to be a little bit higher in this spot. He ended up playing 15 minutes. It might have been able to be a little bit more than that. I'm not sure if the game would have been competitive, but they uh, at least played him a little bit more in this game. Uh, back to the transition defense. <laughs> Philly led 29-13 to after back-to-back threes. This is the craziest stat of the night, um, even on a night where uh, nothing went well for the Hawks. Um, this is just crazy on an NBA-wide scale, basically. So, the Sixers had 30 fast break points in the game, which is a crazy high number. For instance, the Hawks only allow 11.4 fast break points per game this season, so they almost give up three times their season average in fast break points for the entire game, which is already bad enough. But 20 of the first 29 points for Philadelphia were graded as fast break points. For some context, 20 is more than teams than every team in the league averages for full games. That is crazy in itself, and that was all in the first quarter. The most fast break points the Hawks had allowed before tonight in a single game was 27. So they allowed 30, that was a season high, but 20 in the first like nine minutes of this game. Just Philly came out, ran down their throat, they were the more energized team, and uh, made some shots too, to be fair, but um, it was not ideal. At any rate... Also, Seth Curry has many points that the Hawks did at that point. He had 13 versus 13 for the Hawks. So Atlanta was down 20 at the end of the first at the end of the first quarter. It was basically over at that point. We all kind of knew that. Was it all the way over? No, but they, it was you know it was looking pretty ugly. 17 points in the first quarter. Um, six of 20 from the floor. 0 of three from three with five turnovers. Collins had six. He was the only player with more than four points. And Philly shot the ball very well, 60, 60 plus percent in the first quarter. Um, altogether, it was a it was a 17 to four run by Philly to really really break it open between the end of the first and the beginning of the second quarter to go up by 23. And the lead was basically never below 15 again the rest of the way. Um, there was a nice moment from Chris Dunn um, penetrating offensively, um, getting downhill to the rim. He's not going to ever be a great creator, but he had a couple moments, a couple of nice flashes to go into the rim as a ball handler. Philly kind of had their one stagnation point. They missed four or five jumpers in a row. They got they didn't score for about three minutes. The Hawks got the lead down to about 16, 18, somewhere in there. Um, no, there was not nearly enough John Collins for my liking in this game. Now, you'll see in the box score that John Collins actually led the team comfortably with 21 points. He had he was the only guy that played even reasonably well offensively for Atlanta. But even with that said, they could have and I think should have used him more in this spot, especially in the first half. So I want to at least put point that out to everybody. You know, they sort of missed him on some pick and roll chances. I thought Goodwin especially had a couple of uh, just sort of like should have been passes to Collins that did not work out well. Not a lot of high post work for Collins. Not a lot of post work overall for him. So I would like to see him more. That's kind of a steady complaint that I have about his usage. Um, the Hawks actually got to the line 15 times in the first 19 minutes, which is a lot. Um, if you want to look for one positive in this game, it was the Hawks taking 29 free throws, and a lot of those in the first half. But, um, you know, they didn't make a ton of them. They, they were, and at, at that point in time, they were 8 of 31 from the floor at 06 from 3. So, kind of offsets all that gain in itself. The Hawks were down 25 late in the first half. Actually, a nice ATO play where Lou set up a dunk for Capella. And a nice hit-ahead pass by Mays to Collins, who was sealed off for a dunk in transition. And then Solomon Hill made the first three of the night for the Hawks after they missed their first eight. So there were some more positive moments late in the first half, but still they trailed by as many as 28. That was also the halftime margin. Uh, 11 for Solomon Hill in the first half to lead the team, which is kind of funny in retrospect. Um, and he and Collins had 19 of the first 39 for Atlanta. They just, they just couldn't score. Uh, they, they did stop turning the ball over as much, which is nice. But um, Philly was averaging more than 1.4 points per possession in the first half. And uh, actually, this is kind of funny in retrospect, the Hawks actually did not have their largest halftime deficit of the season tonight. They trailed by 28, but they actually were down 29 to the Spurs, 
back in February, which is a game that I actually um, I kind of forgot about. They were down 40 in that game, ended up losing by like 15 only, so it didn't look as crazy in the uh, total box score, but that was one they got decimated by the Spurs back in February, but alas. Uh, to the second half, I said this at halftime, I would have considered um, just not playing Capella at all in the second half. Now, he didn't, he didn't play he didn't play a ton after halftime, which is worth noting. But, uh, you know, given the fact that he's been banged up, banged up a little bit recently, the game was pretty much over at halftime. I would have pedaled off even a little bit more than they did. They did not play him in the fourth, which is good. But uh, I, w- I at least would have considered sitting him down, especially uh, Capella. He's the one guy that I would have really kind of prioritized above the rest that we're playing. Um, <laughs> Collins took quite a shot from Embiid in drawing a charge. He popped back up. He was fine, but uh, that was quite a collision under the rim that I wanted to make sure I mentioned. The Hawks did cut it down to 23 a couple times in the third quarter, but then every time they did that, it was kind of the glass ceiling for the Hawks. At that point, uh, it would sort of be like a timeout, and Philly would have seven points in a row, something like that. Um, it was a 9-2 run at one point to 78-48. to um, Gallinari played some three, which was noteworthy. Uh, obviously, extenuating circumstances, but Gallinari famously coming into the year, some people were thinking that he can play a lot at the three. I was not one of those people um, in terms of his deployment because he, he just can't play the three anymore. He can't move on, on defense, but he played the three in this game for the first time, I think all season, at least in non-garbage time minutes because they just kind of had to. They didn't have another guy other than Solomon Hill that could play there, so they, they tried that for a while. It was actually not bad, um, at least compared to the other units that the Hawks played in this game. But Philly scored six points in a row late to go up by 31. The one bright spot was a Solomon Hill buzzer-beating shot clock buzzer um, avoidant shot from 32 feet that he made. But other than that, um, pretty bad. Down 30 at the end of the third. By the way, at the end of the third quarter, if you took out John Collins shooting, the rest of the team was 24% from the floor. And if you took out Collins and Hill, it was 20%. So uh, really unsightly offense throughout this contest. In the fourth, there's like nothing even to talk about, honestly. Um, they started emptying the bench. Obviously, no Capella at all. Collins sat the, sat the last 10 minutes, which is rightful. Um, Dunn actually got a technical foul. Um, got into it with Matisse Teibel and Shake Milton with about eight minutes to go in the uh, fourth quarter. And from there, you know, you know, Dunn's pretty fiery, competitive guy, obviously. Um, that was a, at least an amusing moment. Uh, Trey Young. Got a T on the bench a few seconds later, which is wild because he was not even in uniform. He's wearing a mask and he's not he's he's inactive for the game and gets teed up by name on the bench. And you know, sometimes you'll see a technical foul says to the bench, quote unquote. They said Trey Young's name. It was actually given to Trey, which is kind of amusing. Um Bruno came in late. He was the last active guy to appear. They closed the game with Goodwin, Mays, Knight, Akongwu, and Fernando, and Trailblaze made his 46 before losing by 44 points. So that's the uh game flow situation. My apologies for flying through that, but I think Everyone kind of gets the understanding of what transpired in this game. Uh, before we get to our last segments, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, the first of which is betonline.ag. Baseball is in full swing right now, and you can track all of the action and much, much more at betonline.ag. BetOnline is both the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, and this week has a ton of sports content to sift through, including the NFL Draft and the Kentucky Derby, arriving as the first Lego Triple Crown over the weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and information for all of your sporting needs, including the NBA, of course, with MLB, NHL, UFC, golf, soccer, tennis, auto racing, entertainment bets, and much, much more. BetOnline also has all of the props and future bets you could possibly want, and they offer live wagering options on a ton of events, which can add a lot of intrigue when you're watching any game. Before the next pitch or dribble, head over to BetOnline.ag on your laptop or mobile device. You can check out the news, contest information, and sign-up bonuses right now. 
Take this chance to get off the sidelines and take your opportunity to get into the game as teams prepare for the run to the playoffs. If you visit betonline.ag right now, you can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline. That is a 50% bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% more and a welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we'll wrap up the show tonight with some takeaways and some individual stuff, as always, on the podcast. Obviously, the numbers are really hideous for Atlanta. Just as a broad reminder, a 44-point defeat, uh, largest of the season by a lot. Their previous high was 24, so 20 points more on the uh, lopsided side than the rest of the games have been this season. Also, the worst scoring night of the season, obviously. We'll get into Collins later, but if he, he was 8 of 11 from the floor. The rest of the team was 19 of 69, which is 27%. That is uh, quite brutal. Collins and Skylar Mays were the only guys that were over 50% shooting. If you remove them, it was 22.9% for the rest of the team. So just uh, hideous across the board. The Hawks scored about 91 points per 100 possessions, which is very, very bad. 34% from the floor. Um, the three-point shooting actually stabilized a little bit. It was 6 of 19. They were actually 0 of 8, so they were 6 of their last 11, which is, uh, you know, respectable. But 17 assists is pretty bad. Um, you know, true shooting was bad. Turnover 16, that's a lot, uh, especially when, with only 17 assists. The only thing that was bright spotty on the offensive side was the free throw attempts and the offensive rebounds. They have 17 offensive rebounds, which is uh, quite a bit, actually, 34% almost on the on the offensive glass, but uh, just not enough shot making, quite obviously, not a lot, not enough um, shot creation talent on the floor for Atlanta. And then defensively, they couldn't get stops either. So, like I said before, 30 fast break points for the Sixers is uh, you know a ridiculously high number. Philly has a 64% true shooting clip, almost 1.4 points per possession for the game, which is really, really bad. Um, Philly's offense is not even that great, by the way. Philly is known for their defense. Obviously, they're a top three or four defense in the league, probably. Offensively, they're like middle of the pack. So, granted, they were healthy, but you shouldn't be giving up 1.4 You know, that was... If you try to find dis- disappointments, it was more foreseeable that the Hawks could not score in this game, g- given their talent defensively they shouldn't have been as bad as they were in this game we'll just say so we'll, we'll leave it there now on that but uh, obviously the numbers are as bad as you might think for a 40 point, 44 point loss um individually we'll sort of fly through this i'm not going to talk about the guys a ton that didn't play a lot like knight and fernando basically all played garbage time they actually combined to shoot oh of six from the floor and i got to the line four times but um not a whole lot of competitive basketball between those guys in this game a kongu did not attempt a shot in this game he was not particularly good did have a block and a steal was relatively active but not not a whole lot of physicality from the rookie in this game it was more of an early season of performance where he looked kind of like deer in headlights at times he was not very good uh, Chris Dunn, one of six from the floor. He did score for the first time in the Hawks uniform. Had five points, two rebounds, and an assist. But offensively, you could definitely see the uh, the cracks there. Defensively, he was fine, and I, I would say showed off his trademark competitiveness with that technical foul late in the game. Skylar Mays um, actually shot the ball well, five away from the floor. Had 11 points and five rebounds. Uh, I think in the competitive portion, he was not particularly good, but he he was the guy who was scoring uh, the most at the end of the game when things were kind of out of control. So, you know, I guess pluses and minuses there. And then Gallinari was bad. Uh, Four points on one of nine shooting. I tweeted this during the game, but this is a bad night for for Gallinari to have a bad night. I guess in in retrospect, I guess you want to waste one now. Like, you you lose by 44 points, nothing you would have done would have helped them. But, you know, coming into the night, you probably needed Gallo to go crazy offensively to kind of carry you a little bit and he just didn't have it in this game one of nine from the floor oh three oh two from three five rebounds and an assist in uh 22 minutes the starters actually played a decent amount other than capella um 
we'll start with Brandon Goodwin, 32 points, sorry, 32 minutes, 5 points, a game worse, minus 39, that's not necessarily indicative, obviously, of just what he did, but he did not play well in this game. Um, again, a kind of a surprise that he played at all, I mean, I want to credit Goodwin for playing, because that injury looked pretty bad on Monday, and the fact that he was able to go out there and start and play 32 minutes is pretty shocking, but he was not very good. 5 turnovers, only 2 assists. Uh, Lou Williams was pretty quiet, 10 points in 31 minutes, got to the line seven times, and had eight rebounds, actually, tied for the lead, which is kind of crazy, and led the team in assists with five. He wasn't terrible, just not um, dynamic, necessarily. Capella was not his best in this game, had the one block on him B, but actually failed to get to 10 rebounds for the first time in a long time. He actually had the season, the NBA's longest active rebound streak of 10-plus games, uh, 10 plus rebounds per game, I should say. He didn't get there in this game with 9 points and 8 rebounds in 24 minutes. 4-13 from the floor and 1-4 from free throw line. That's uh, not, not, not great, obviously. He had two blocks in this spot. Solomon Hill was competitive, 14 points, 4 assists, 5 rebounds in 30 minutes. He was the only small forward on the entire active roster in this game, so they had to play him a lot. Um, you know, he did what he does. He was fine. Offensively, he had to press a little bit in a way that you would not want him to in a normal circumstances. He had to take some shots that he wouldn't he wouldn't normally take. But other than that, he was fine. And then Collins was the only bright spot offensively. 20, 21 points on 8 of 11 shooting, 2 of 2 from the three-point line, 3 of 4 from the free-throw line, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 turnovers. And was, he was minus 15, which was the best of the guys who played big minutes for the Hawks. You know, Collins was not great. He was good. He was efficient. I wish they'd given him the ball more. Um, he couldn't have saved the day by any means in this game, but it would have been a little bit more competitive if they used him a little bit more, I think, offensively, and we'll uh, leave it there for now on that. Last thing before we get out of here on a shorter-than-usual podcast is a standings check. Um, Boston beat Charlotte tonight, which is not what the Hawks wanted, I don't think, um, and also New York won again tonight. So as of this recording, the Hawks are now um, only only up one on Boston Although they have the tiebreaker, so it's I guess technically it's kind of like two by defa- by de facto, but they're actually a full game behind the Knicks now. Miami's playing right now. As I as I speak, they're actually up by four points on the Spurs in the fourth quarter, but it was still pretty early in the fourth, so that game's up in the air. If the Heat win, the Hawks will only be up one on Miami as well. If the if the Heat lose, it'll still be at two. So that's a big that's a big game. It's a big sort of result here down the stretch of Wednesday night. Regardless, the Hawks do have tiebreakers against Boston and Miami, not against New York. So it was a bad night against the Knicks. A bad night overall, obviously. Anytime you lose and everybody else wins, especially if Miami ends up winning, that'll be a bad standings night for the Hawks. But that kind of goes without saying. Okay, looking ahead briefly here, the rematch looms on Friday. Um, obviously, the hope would be the Hawks get some of these guys back for that game. If it's the same roster, these, a similar result will probably take place. May not, may not 44 points, but they're not going to win um, realistically if they have the same roster. But if Trey comes back... Or Bogdanovich comes back, um, maybe hope, you know, hopefully both if you're a Hawks fan. Um, that will be obviously a little bit more competitive. We'll see on Herder as well. I'm not planning to do a podcast between now and Friday's game um, after doing this. is my fourth one of the week already. So uh, if something crazy happens, maybe I'll pop back in. But if not, please follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. I will update you as best as I can. But uh, that's the status for now. But Friday's game in Philly. Um, no travel, which is nice for the Hawks to maybe get some rest on Thursday. And then they come, ha- they come back home on Saturday for a back-to-back against Chicago at home. That'll be a bit of an interesting game as well. So circle that. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. I understand if you're listening to this podcast tonight, especially, you are a full-blown diehard, and I appreciate you. But uh, keep subscribing. Please download, follow, all that stuff. And we'll see you after the game on Friday.